Our scripture today comes from the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 30, verses 1 through 9. Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. For the king and his princes and all the assembly in Jerusalem had taken counsel to keep the Passover in the second month, for they could not keep it at that time because the priests had not consecrated themselves in sufficient number, nor had the people assembled in Jerusalem, and the plan seemed right to the king and all the assembly. So they decreed to make a proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba to Dan that the people should come and keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel, at Jerusalem, for they had not kept it as often as prescribed. So couriers went through, throughout all Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his princes, as the king had commanded, saying, O people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may turn again to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers, who were faithless to the Lord God of their fathers, so that he made them a desolation, as you see. Do not now be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and come to his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever, and serve the Lord your God, that his fierce anger may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your children will find compassion with their captors and return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As you're being seated, perhaps you received sermon notes as you came in today. And if you did, we are uh, uh, just encourage you to fill in these notes, complete them. But one thing I have to let you know, Christina, who does all of our slides, is in Texas with our trip. I emailed her uh, while she was in Texas the wrong uh, sermon notes. Um, so it's on me, but they won't be on the screen this morning. So you'll just have to depend on me to get those to you. And that is completely uh, my fault and my doing. Um, if you're old enough, do you remember where you were on September 11, 2001? Your heads are nodding because you do. You recall where you were standing or sitting, what you were experiencing when you heard the news of what was going on in New York City. The whole world seemed to stop, didn't it, uh, when this happened? The, uh, everything just came to a standstill. Time seemed to freeze do you remember the feelings of patriotism and unity that prevailed after 9-11? Uh, the uh, people came together, both Democrats and Republicans, and they uh, celebrated our great nation, and they celebrated also, the people did, uh, a unity against one enemy. I was out of the country on 9-11, and on Saturday of that week, I flew back. I was in Honduras on a mission trip and flew back on that Saturday. And when I did, I still remember flying into Houston, Texas, and as I did, the pilot did what pilots, I guess, normally do on international flights, said, welcome to the United States of America. But then he followed that with the greatest nation on the face of the earth, 
and the entire plane erupted in applause. What should have been indelibly imprinted on America's conscience, the reality that we can work together for a common cause against a common enemy, somehow has gotten lost, hasn't it? And the same thing happened to Israel. Uh, They have forgotten what ought to be the most memorable uh, moment in their history. And so Hezekiah, this king, says, in order to remember, we're going to call you back to a sacrifice and to a time when you remember. And it's called the Passover celebration. It was one of three celebrations uh, in Israel's calendar, that uh, annual celebration And we're going to call you back to celebrate the Passover. Uh, What the Passover celebrates is very important. It it celebrates both the darkest and the most uh, significant, uh, exciting moment in Israel's history. Uh, It celebrates uh, the fact that Israel was enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. God raised up Moses to bring the, Egypt, the Israelis, the, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses was that reluctant leader who said, okay, I'll go back. And in order for that to be accomplished, what uh, God uh, did was to, to, to bring about some plagues. These uh, plagues were uh, awful. They were a nuisance, but it was the tenth one that sealed the deal. That 10th plague, God said, say to Pharaoh, here is what I'm going to do. I am going to uh, kill the firstborn in every household in Egypt, both of humans and of livestock. So Moses goes to Pharaoh, he tells him, Pharaoh's heart is hardened yet again, And the result of this is that um, Moses gives instructions from God to the the Israelites, take a lamb, uh, smear the blood of that sacrifice lamb over your doorpost. At midnight, God is going to come riding through. And when he does and he sees the blood, he will pass over your house. And in your house, no one will die. God's people obediently sacrificed an animal, and that night, uh, moms and dads in Egypt woke up to great weeping, to great lament. And Israel left Egypt, but God told them before they left, as you are leaving, do not forget what I did for you tonight and celebrate this as a celebration every year celebrate the Passover, but they forgot. Believe it or not, they forgot. And maybe you have too. Perhaps you've forgotten the sin that enslaved you before you came to faith in Jesus. Perhaps you've forgotten the one who brought you to victory. Maybe you've forgotten the shame you felt in your sin The weight of your sin is it had you bound in chains and the need for Jesus to turn you around. You've walked with God perhaps a long time. And in so doing, 
you have forgotten. Hezekiah calls the people to remember by celebrating the Passover, and it is a call to return. To return to the God who delivered Israel and made them who they were. The sermon this morning is a call for you to return to the God who saved you, who redeemed you, who called you by name out of darkness into his glorious light. How do you return, you ask? It is provided here in Hezekiah's message sent by couriers throughout all of Judah and even up into Israel. Verses one through five describe the organization of this effort. Six through nine gets us to the message. I'm going to read six through nine. If you have your Bibles or your devices, wherever you read, since it won't be on the screen, let me encourage you to find 2 Chronicles chapter 30 and uh, verses six through nine. Because I want you to do something as I read it. What I want you to do is I want you to, every time you see the word return or turn, just say it out loud. Just say it with me uh, because it will drive home a point. Second Chronicles 30, I'm at verse 6. So couriers went throughout all Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his princes as the king had commanded, saying, O people of Israel, excellent. You guys do so much better than the 8 a.m. people. <laughs> o people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may, again, to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were faithless to the Lord God of their fathers so that he made them a desolation. As you see, do not now be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and come to his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever, and serve the Lord your God that his fierce anger may turn away from you. For if you... To the Lord, your brothers and your children will find compassion with their captors and to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not away his face from you if you to him. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that all of this could be about returning to the Lord. So here is the first blank on your notes. And it is one worth noting, when you return to God, he returns to you. When you return to God, he returns to you. Zechariah, the prophet, in 1 uh, verse 3 says, Therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. When you come back to God, he comes back to you. How then, uh, you may be asking this morning, how do I return? Perhaps you're a college student who's wandered away. How do I return? Perhaps you're a married person who's wandered away. How do I come back? Uh, Hezekiah says in his message sent by the couriers, you come back by yielding. 
The word yield literally means to give the hand, to extend the hand. So what I want to encourage you to do is just think logically this morning. If God is saying to you, come back to me, and the way to do it is to yield, and the word yield means to extend the hand, does it not stand to reason then that if he is asking you to extend his hand to you, there's one uh, to him, there's a hand reaching out to you too? Does it not stand to reason that there is a hand of mercy, a hand of grace that is outstretched waiting for yours in your life group lesson this week? Your whole lesson is going to be about the hand of God, your hand, his hand, these words from Isaiah 41 that are quite powerful when it comes to the reality that there is a God who has a hand outstretched and that hand is reaching out, longing for you to come to a place at some point where you say, here's mine. If you've ever taken your uh, sons or daughters fishing in the streams in this county, you know that there are certain places where they're shallow and there are certain places where they're deep. And what do you do? Well, when it comes to the deep place, you'll turn as a dad or as a mom and you'll, you'll reach for your kid's hand and you'll walk backward as they walk forward. I have a son who's, who's just a strong-willed kid and at times, he just thought he could ford the stream without my help, right? Don't need daddy's help. I can get across the stream myself, only to get a certain distance. And I look back, and his hand, without thinking, goes up. So should ours with God. Uh, yield or give the hand. How is God stretching out his hand to you right now? Could it be through this sermon? A life group leader who keeps prodding you, who won't let you, won't let you just go on in your, in your sin or in your ways? A godly friend, Maybe you just tuned into the radio and a certain song or a certain sermon hit you. Perhaps it's a podcast. When you hear the same thing from multiple godly sources, listen. That is God speaking to you, right? And for some of us, we only need one source, but some of us are thick-headed and we need about seven. We need a message from here and one from there, a word from here, a one from there. We, we need messages from all over. And the message sent by the king, by his courier to the people, do not now be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord. That's a great visual, isn't it? Stiff-necked. To be stiff-necked is to be unresponsive to God. To be unresponsive to God, the conscience has become evil. Scripture describes the conscience in several ways. But the conscience has become evil and sees good as evil and evil is good. It, it no longer listens to the Lord. Return to God by yielding. Secondly, return to God by worshiping. Do not now be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord. And here is the phrase, and come to his sanctuary. Come to his sanctuary. 
the sanctuary was the temple. Uh, it was built by Solomon. It is recorded back in, second, uh, in, in this same book in the first few chapters. And then in chapters 5, 6, 7, they, they begin to celebrate uh, this great temple having been built. Let me read for you just a few words from 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 5 at the dedication or at the preparation when the ark was brought to the temple. In verse 11, and when the priest came out of the holy place, for all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves without regard to their divisions, and all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, their sons and kinsmen, arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters. Now that's some noise. Get 120 men blowing trumpets, and you better bring the proverbial earplugs. Add to that some cymbals and harps and lyres. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard. Uh, that seems obvious, doesn't it? In unison, in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments, in praise to the Lord. What was the song? For he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. They all sang it and the trumpeters played it and those uh, clanging the cymbals did it all in unison at just the right time. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Now here's what's interesting is that the temple was remarkably expensive. It is so difficult, but different economists have tried to figure out how much would the temple have cost had it been built today. And the, the ranges are enormous, but uh, I'll take the super conservative range. Are you ready? If that temple had been built today, it would have cost somewhere between three and six billion dollars. Those are the conservative ranges. They can range way up from there based on the value of gold, silver, bronze the wood and the materials, and then labor. But when the priest came into that massive temple, that beautifully arrayed temple with gold and silver and bronze, uh, they did their business. They did what they were supposed to do. It was not until the glory of the Lord filled the temple that, that they couldn't stand. People didn't come to the temple to see its glory, they came to the temple to see God's glory. To, us, to worship is to ascribe worth. That's uh, right here in your notes, to ascribe worth. Worship is a German word, and, and that's what it means to ascribe worth. The worth wasn't being ascribed to the temple, the worth was being ascribed to God. I, I, I want to put forth a a thought, and give a shout out, as I did to them at the 8 a.m. service. We have about three families who come to our 8 a.m. service. Uh, most people who come to 8 a.m. service are, um, are older, but we have three families who bring children, 8 a.m. Gotta give kudos to those families, right? They're up and at it with children here at 8 a.m. 
me just do a little quiz. I did it with the 8 a.m. service. When you are getting ready on a Sunday morning, you say, we are going to church. What if beginning next week, you said to your husband, to your wife, to your kids, uh, it's Sunday. We're going to worship. Would that change things? Would there be a mindset before you walk out the door? Uh, they didn't say we were going to temple. We're going up to worship. What if that was our mindset? As that temple is being dedicated, Solomon prays and God answers. And these are the words that will be quite familiar to you. I'll read 2 Chronicles 7, verse 13 and 14. Scholars have stated that 2 Chronicles 7, 14 is the hinge verse for 1st and 2 Chronicles. God is speaking when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people... Anybody familiar with this? If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. What is interesting is that what Hezekiah does occurs at least 150 years after Solomon maybe 180 years after Solomon, after the last celebration of Passover, that much time has passed. And from this passage, we see five words from 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Humble, pray, seek, turn, and heal. Those five words from that that statement by God now show up here. Is God going to come through on his promise? Will he do that? Yes, he will. He always does. So, so what is the attitude that, that we have when we come to worship him? Humility. Humility, uh, here is straight from your notes. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less often. So humility is not what I call worm theology. I'm a worm. I'm a pathetic, good-for-nothing worm. That's not, that's, no, 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 no. That, you're still talking about yourself, still thinking about yourself. That's called victimization. Humility is not thinking about yourself. It's thinking about yourself less often. In other words, if you're truly humble, you think about others. Right? Humble people think about other people. Humility is always right. It is the one attribute in Scripture that God never refuses, ever. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus said that. Humility is always right. You return to God by humble worship. It is not asserting you or anyone else. It is saying, oh God, you are worthy. I will ascribe worth to you. You're worthy of my worship. I come into this place, God, for what I can give, not what I can get. 
I come here not as a consumer. I come here not as a customer. I'm not coming hoping the sermon is going to be fire and the music is going to be amazing. And I'm going to come in here and just be totally lifted up and transported into another world. No, you come. Bring it to God your worship. It's giving to him. Number three, return to God by serving. Don't be stiff-necked. Yield yourselves, come to a sanctuary which he has consecrated forever, and serve the Lord your God, that his fierce anger may turn away from you. Serve uh, is simply to do something, in your notes as well, for someone else. To serve is to do something for someone else. Hezekiah is not uh, calling them to come and be served, but it's a call to the people to come and serve. Now, this reminded me of a, Something that happened right before Jesus died. I mean, this is right before he died. He had two, two, two disciples, and they got into an argument with the others. Why? Because they're brothers, and they wanted to sit one on his right and one on his left when he came into his kingdom. Remember this story? One wants to sit on his right, one on his left when he came into his kingdom, and guess who else got involved? Their mama. Yeah, mama's in on it too, and they're grown boys. They're grown boys and their mama thinks that they're the best things ever. They're the best boys you'll ever meet. I think she must have come through McDowell County at some point and attended a little league game. <laughs> Had to have. Because I've heard her yell at the coach, at the ref. Meanwhile, little boy doesn't know how to hit a ball any more than he can speak five languages. But he's the best one out there. Right? And this is that mama. And she's not happy about it, right? So she goes to Jesus. Yes, I need my boy, one on your right and one on your left. Jesus looks at her and says, that's not for you to know. And then he looks at all of them in Matthew 20, 28 and says, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What little league mama didn't know, trying to advance her boys who were the best things ever, was that when Jesus ushered in the kingdom, he would do so exalted, but not on a throne, but on a cross. And there would be somebody flanking him on the right. And there would be someone flanking him on the left. One of them would mock him. And say he was not the son of God. And the other would praise him and repent. And Jesus would look over at that criminal. And he would be the first convert post-crucifixion to the Christian faith. Hanging naked by our Savior on a cross. That's the Christian faith. And some of us have forgotten that we once too were naked in our sin. Like Israel, we, we've forgotten the Passover, haven't we? We've forgotten that were it not for the blood over the doorposts, we, we would be grieving. 
Well, November 14th, we'll have a ministry fair here. And this ministry fair is not so that those of you who are doing three jobs can do four. Okay? Not at all. As a matter of fact, we'll give every volunteer at this church an off-ramp before November 14th. It's that, so that those of you who have yet to jump in and yet to serve can. Could I also say something to you as many people in our, um, in our, in our area are grieving. Some are quite depressed. As I've counseled people through the years who deal with depression and as I've battled it myself more than once, I would say one of the things I've learned personally and one of the things I always counsel people to do is this, serve. If you want to be lifted out of where you are, go find somebody else who needs you and serve them. If you've lost a son or a daughter, a mom or a dad, a brother or a sister, how hard and awful that is. And perhaps you're watching online and you've done that. Go find somebody who needs you and serve. You have something to offer. And you say, well, Jerry, what will happen? The grief will begin to process its way out in life. Uh, it's not escapism. It's not pretending you're not hurting. No, it's a hurting person helping a hurting person. There's something about that that really works. Now, there's some great benefits to coming home to God. And the rest of the chapter gives them, I'll list four for you. I'll do it slow enough for you to write, and we've left space, hopefully, for you to write those in the notes. First, when you return, it blesses you. Verse 8, that his fierce anger may turn away from you. I don't want God to be angry at me, do you? No. Second, when you return, it blesses those you love. For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your children will find compassion with their captors and return to this land, verse nine. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn, his fa uh, turn away his face from you if you return to him. Please hear me, moms, dads. When you return to God, your children are way more likely to return to him too. It blesses those you love. And here it blesses brothers and sisters who are in captivity elsewhere. Third, when you return, it blesses everyone. So the couriers went from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh. That's up in Israel. 
Hezekiah was like, this is gonna be good. Not just for Judah in the south, we're gonna go up north. Like even the Yankees could do this. It's a joke and I'm glad you laughed so loud, Doris. Right, and I know some, I met some of you this morning on the way in and now I just made fun of you. Um, but as far as Zebulun, but they laughed him to scorn and mocked them. Not everybody's going to say yes. They didn't. Some of them made fun. However, some men of Asher and of Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. And the hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king had commanded the, the, the princes, uh, the king and the princes commanded by the word of the Lord. And many people came together in Jerusalem to keep the feast of the unleavened bread in the second month, a very great assembly. And what did they do? They got to work and they removed the altars that were in Jerusalem and all the altars for burning incense they took away and threw into the brook Kidron. That was the trash dump, the landfill. They took the idols and put them in the landfill and they slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month and the priests and the Levites were ashamed. Why? Because the people were running ahead of them. The people were farther ahead spiritually than their own spiritual leaders so that they consecrated themselves and brought burnt offering into the house of the Lord. They took their accustomed post according to the law of Moses, the man of God, the priests, through the blood that they received from the hands of the Levites. And listen to what happened. I know this is foreign to us. For there were many in the assembly who had not consecrated themselves. Therefore, the Levites had to slaughter the Passover lamb for everyone who was not clean to consecrate it to the Lord. You see, there was only a certain way you could come and celebrate the Passover. And there was this ritual cleansing that had to happen. And these people, it had been so long since they had celebrated it. They forgot how. For a majority of the people, many of them from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, from Israel, had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover otherwise than as prescribed. They broke rules. They didn't do it right. They messed it up. But then what happens here, I love. For Hezekiah had prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek God, the Lord, the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary's rules of cleanness. What did Hezekiah do? Hezekiah said, Lord, you know that's not how it's supposed to be done, and I know it too. You know this is not how they're supposed to come, and I know it too. You know that they, they didn't do this on purpose. They accidentally came in here not ready to worship. Lord, would you still receive their worship? Would you still receive their praise? It's a principle in Scripture that we look at the Old Testament and we find predictors and pictures of Jesus. Could I say something to you this morning that Jesus is a much better Hezekiah? That he is a much better Hezekiah, that some of you came in here a bit, a bit unkempt this morning. I'm not saying your hair's messed up or, you know, your clothes are sticking where they don't belong. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that some of you walked in here this morning, heart perhaps not quite ready to worship the Lord. You came in here with things a bit disheveled. 
But you came still, and when you did, and the songs began, you tried to sing them, and you tried to get your heart tuned to sing his praise, and as you did, that there is somebody in heaven whose name is Jesus, who walked on planet earth in your shoes, who knows every sin that you've ever struggled with and never committed a single one of them, and that same Jesus this morning, sitting at the right hand of the Father, is saying, oh, Father, I I see them, and I know you see them, and I know they're not coming here exactly how they are to be but Lord Jesus do you see uh, Father do you see what they're bringing to you and now I pray on their behalf and Jesus Christ the whole time you've been worshiping this morning with all of the inconsistencies and all of the faults and the failures and the foibles of your life has been presenting you to the Father all morning long that ought to excite us amen that ought to excite us that there is a God in heaven and his son Jesus prays for you And the people of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with all their might. They were just belting it out, right? It was so good, they said, let's go seven days more. Let's just keep going. Ever been to that worship service? Don't want it to end, do you? You just want to keep going, keep singing. Well, you're going to have that many people in town for a lot more time. You've got to have more food. How much? 1,000 bulls, 7,000 sheep, another 1,000 bulls, and another 10,000 sheep. The whole assembly. Listen to this. Verse 25 of Judah and the priests and the Levites and the whole assembly that came out of Israel. So it was Judah, Israel, and here's the third group, and the sojourners who came out of the land of Israel, foreigners. They came and worshiped, verse 25. So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. And if my time is right, and you check me on this and correct me, hopefully before I preach this two more times, it's 180 years. That's a revival. Do you know who had been waiting that whole time? Might he be a a bit more patient than we? And finally, when you return, it blesses God. Then the priest and the Levites arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came to his holy habitation in heaven. Verse 27. It blesses God. He's thrilled when you come back. Would you bow your head for a moment? I'm going to give you an opportunity to do something this morning that is symbolic, but you may need to do. Perhaps you come in here having strayed away in the last 24 hours, or maybe it's been in the last 24 days. I don't know. Could I just say, based on the authority of God's Word, that there's a God who has an outstretched hand. Perhaps you're watching online or you'll watch later. There's a God who has an outstretched hand with your heads bowed. If you were here this morning and you say, God, I need to come back to you, I'm not asking you to lift your hand this morning. Would you just stretch it out to him in a symbolic way? Thank you. Thank you. God, I've got to come back. Here's my hand. Thank you. Just here it is. Would you take it? 
Lord Jesus, you who stretched out your arms and who still reach down today. You know the hearts of these people and you were praying for them before they woke up this morning. May they come back to you in, in repentance and humility or whatever it may be. And may you take their hand as you look them in the eye and help them to ford the stream of life in your name. All God's people say, amen. A couple things before you go today. If you are new to Grace, this is your first time, or you're new in the last couple of weeks, we have a guest tent right out front. Stop by there. Jerry will be there uh, ready to meet with you and talk with you there as well as some of our other volunteers. Starting point. That's an opportunity for you to find out who we are as a church. Um, if you would ever uh, look to be joining as a member, starting point is next Sunday at 3 o'clock. So if you're interested in that, next Sunday at 3. And then the last thing, a college life group for college students is beginning next Sunday at 11 o'clock. So right after this service is a college life group beginning next week at 11. We're going to close with an old hymn. Would you stand? This is our benediction. It is a declaration that the God who longs for you to return to him is faithful. Let's sing it. Sing it out, church. Great is thy. Oh, that's beautiful. Fullness. Oh, God, my Father. There is no Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Sing it out, church. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy morning
give you peace. Amen.